welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Dr. Monty Hunter. He is an orthopedic sports medicine surgery specialist at Augusta University Medical Center. He holds multiple titles, including the Henry Distinguished Chair of Orthopedics and the Satcher Distinguished Chair in Sports Medicine, both in orthopedic surgery. He's also the Department Chair Professor for Orthopedic Surgery at Augusta University. And before joining, he worked as a team physician for Wake Forest University and for UCLA's intercollegiate teams. So Dr. Hunter also served as the physician for the Italian team training for the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. Uh, and he's going to tell us all about all of that stuff as well as Augusta University on the episode today. So Monty, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, well, thank you, James. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, we're doing very well in Augusta, Georgia. We're fairly well protected from extremes of weather. So even though it's a little bit uh, chilly and rainy for us, everything is doing well here. Excellent. Excellent. So whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Monty? Uh, so, so I'm in my office at uh, the Augusta University Medical Center. Uh, and uh, so the, I'm a professor at the Medical College of Georgia, which is part of Augusta University. Awesome. Awesome. So the way that we start these, uh, these podcasts and these episodes is we get you to tell your story. Now you obviously I've, I've done that introduction and you've got so much that you are up to and have been up to and some really cool stuff in your background. But I think for our, for our listeners, you know, for people in healthcare that are looking to get into some of the things that you're in now, it'd be just really interesting for you to tell us a bit about your story. Yeah, no, well, thank you very much. Uh, I feel like I've been very fortunate to come along at a time in, uh, in medicine and in sports medicine, where when I started, sports medicine was really more of a concept. And I remember some of my uh, colleagues at the time back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, sort of laughing at the whole idea of a sports medicine specialty. And so uh, I was fortunate to come along at a time when really the whole subspecialty field and our interest in preventive care and health and fitness was really just beginning to, to burgeon. And so sports medicine, and you know our, our colleagues around the world have helped really push our knowledge and information on how to stay healthy, how to prevent injury, and then how to treat injury to remain active. And sort of one of my my themes is you know everybody is an athlete, whether it's you know taking out the trash, playing with your grandkids, or you know trying to score the winning goal on a on a Saturday or Sunday. So we're all interested in staying active and healthy, and that leads to overall general good health. And so. Sports medicine has really helped push those concepts uh, forward. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I feel very fortunate to have come along at the time I, 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 did, I have. Um, I started, uh, actually, my interest in sports medicine came from, you know, my own personal activities. I, I played uh, college football at the University of North Carolina and uh, got to know my team physicians very well, fortunately or unfortunately. But they really stimulated, you know, my interest, uh, as did my, my local high school team physician who would... Uh, uh, you know, Friday night football would be over and he would come to my house on Saturday, make me get out of bed and he'd take me to cover the local college games with him. And so I really got uh, interested very early on in, in the whole concept of sports medicine and team coverage. And that's what stimulated you know, my interest in going into medicine and the sports medicine ultimately. I love that. And it seems to me that sports medicine, as, as you've kind of described there, is on 
I suppose what we call the steep part of the curve still, or it certainly feels that way. It seems that we as a culture, as a society are still very much learning about the optimization of the human body as it relates to performance. And it seems to me that things like, and I really like what you said actually about everybody's an athlete. I think that's a really interesting concept because, so for example, I've had just an Achilles issue. Doesn't affect me in everyday life at all. My activities of daily living are absolutely fine, but I'm a tennis player and about the about three sets in, so if I'm playing, you know, three setter, it's towards the end of the game, a five setter, you know, it, it might be the middle of the game. At that point, my, my Achilles starts giving me grief. And the healthcare system or for the healthcare system, that's not really a big deal. Like, you know, you're young, fit and active. You can play three sets of tennis. Good for you. Like, and especially in the UK where it's a national health system, good luck getting the government to pay for my my you know middle class problem that three sets into tennis my my the back of my heel hurts a bit you know and fair enough but as i say everybody is an athlete and that affects me affects my mental health if i if i'm struggling and i can't play tennis as much i can't play it every day i've got to take up a day's rest and you know all these different things and i don't know it, it just seems to me that so much that's happening in terms of research, in terms of the everyday person experimenting about diet and about the right exercise, the right way to warm up, dynamic stretches rather than static, you know, all these different things. It seems that it's an exciting time for sports medicine. No, I agree. And, and by the way, I have an opening on Wednesday if you'd like me to Kelly's <laughs> tendon. So, Excellent. <laughs> so, um, no, I think you're you're right. I think we're really just uh, uh, starting to learn and understand, uh, you know, what uh, what the human body can do and and how much more efficiently it can work. And no doubt, our mental well being is closely tied to our physical well being. And I think that's all very much a part of it, particularly in times like now with a pandemic and much time uh, inside more than we've probably ever spent uh, before. You know, our activities, whether they're inside or outside, have become even more important to our physical and mental well-being. Amazing. So tell me about your work then as it is now. Or in fact, let's talk, let's talk before that. Let's talk about how you how did you transition, I suppose, from being in inverted commas normal clinician, normal sports medic to then doing all of these things in terms of the the leadership and, you know, forwarding the specialties a whole. How how did you transition in that time? Was it something that you always were part of doing things differently? Was it a conscious decision? I'm interested. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, well thank you. I, you know, I, um, I've always been willing to uh, take on things that perhaps, you know, uh, take on new challenges and uh, look for ways to, to do things better or improve things. And uh, that's really how I got in, involved in sports medicine. And, you know, we helped put together several unique programs when I was at Wake Forest to help uh, coordinate the, the care the interdisciplinary care, not just the orthopedic care of the athletes and student athletes at Wake Forest. And, uh, and then, you know, I uh, transitioned from Wake Forest to, uh, uh, to UCLA where, you know, we, we basically continued to, to have a, a, a huge model for the overall interdisciplinary care from primary care sports medicine to the orthopedic care, to the psychological care, to the dental care, and down the list. And so, you know, all those components 
are an important part of uh, keeping athletes uh, at their best uh, and uh, achieving their goals and, and participating in the activities that they spend so much time to, uh, you know, to perfect and improve in. So, um, and so we, we've always looked for ways to do things better. And I think being in a field like sports medicine early on, it was a wide open playing field to use a sports metaphor. Um, we, we had many opportunities to figure out how to help athletes uh, stay healthy. And you mentioned things like nutrition early on. The nutrition was, you know, it was really very basic, you know, eat well, eat, uh, eat a lot and burn a lot. And now, obviously, we've refined those goals to very specific needs based on an athlete's metabolic rate, based on their sport activities and based on their training regimen. And so I think that will continue to be refined to help uh, people achieve their maximum. And everybody's maximum uh, will be a little different, but helping each individual achieve their maximum ability to whatever their goals are. It's sort of the goals of, of ours. Yeah. Interesting that personalization element that everybody is slightly different. And it feels to me that sports medicine and the advances that I suppose are made, the experimentation that is done in terms of finding out what is the best the technologies that are used, as you say, the, the different nutrition. It seems to me that that, so that sports medicine of today is sort of the, the normal orthopedics, the normal uh, like metabolism and nutrition, the normal physiotherapy even of tomorrow. It seems that that, that is, is the kind of the, the space where you're you're at the frontier you're because you're you're constantly trying to optimize the human body and and therefore your learning of what is going to be optimal is definitely going to help the rest of everybody else as our expectations of what we want our bodies to do increases because as, as you know lifespan gets longer the life in those years gets richer we all want to stay healthier for longer, don't we? And it seems to me that the work being done in sports medicine now will definitely serve healthcare far more generally in future. And I suppose we've, you've probably already seen examples of that, right? Things that things that were pioneering 70s, 80s, 90s that are now just routine for, for normal physiotherapy and other things. Is that fair to say? Uh, yes, no doubt. I mean, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And the concepts we've learned in, in sports medicine or early activities, you know, strength, uh, prehab, getting stronger before a, an, a surgery or a medical intervention have helped us in all subspecialties. No longer, if you have a fracture, do we keep you laying in bed for long? We try to get you up and mobile right away. And we uh, have our physical therapists involved with you you know, immediately. And so the whole goal is getting back up and getting active as quickly as possible. So we've, we've established that sports medicine is, is an innovative space. How do you guys as sports physicians innovate? Are you constantly looking at new technologies? Are you constantly doing research and figuring out what best thing is to do? Is that an ongoing process? Is it deliberate? Do you do much kind of experimenting? Do you spot a new technology and think, well, I'll give it a go? Like, how does it, how does it work for you guys at that frontier in terms of trialing, testing, using, developing new technologies or, or new ways of doing things? Um, 
Yes, so I, we, we are constantly uh, looking at ways to improve and, and do better. And so one of my big interests, I, I've spent my whole career in academic medicine. And so I, I still am very active in seeing patients in my clinical practice doing surgery. We also have a, uh, a large residency program. So we have four orthopedic residents per year. It's a five-year program. So we have 20 residents in training at various stages of training. Uh, we also, uh, Augusta University is currently or the Medical College of Georgia is the seventh largest medical school in the country. So we have, you know, seen uh, 300 medical students uh, that are rotating constantly through the subspecialties, and uh, we're part of a large academic center. And so we have a research laboratory and research projects going on um, throughout the spectrum of orthopedics and sports medicine being one of those. And so we are constantly looking for, for new ways to innovate and improve things. And, you know, one story, you know, I'll tell you, when I was a uh, uh, in college as a football player, if you had a torn meniscus in your knee, you know, the surgeon made a big incision and you were out for the season and arthroscopy yep. was just coming along, you know, at that point and, you know, very innovative three, three tiny little holes, look inside the knee and trim the meniscus out. And, and so now, you know, we can get players back and, you know, have had some go back as early as 10 days. Typically we tell people four to six weeks, ideally for recovery, but it's not a season ending injury and it's not a, not a career threat. And, you know, there are plenty of, uh, uh, you know, American athletes that we can name people like Gail Sayers who tore their ACL and he was a phenomenal running back in the professional football league here. And his career was cut short because of a torn ACL. Now you would miss maybe a year and be able to be back at your, at your previous level in general. So, so those are some of the early innovations that we all know about and, and make the news and headlines. And, and so we're constantly uh, trying to improve things. And, the concept of minimally invasive surgery is what really attracted me into orthopedics and sports medicine, how you can make a big impact in someone's life, well-being and activity without disfiguring them or without a huge scar, or a huge healing you know, rehabilitation process from the, from the uh, surgical procedure itself. And so we're continuing to improve those as our technologies get better, as our, you know, our cameras get better, our systems to, to see things, our instruments are getting smaller, our ability to do things are better. And, and there's a whole lot of people, of course, here and around the world who are way more innovative uh, than I am, who are really pushing the envelope uh, on all of these techniques. And for example, I would just say, you know, hip arthroscopy is now uh, a, a subspecialty uh, that is, can, is evolving and is really on the steep curve, as you say, of uh, our understanding of hip injuries, hip processes, how they affect uh, our ability to perform. And now with hip arthroscopy, we have ways to treat that that don't require a huge open surgery. And so it's phenomenal to me to see these, uh, these new innovators come up with new techniques to help uh, our people stay active and healthy and pain-free. So you mentioned academia obviously being a part of that and being attached to research centers and, and obviously universities and, and that, that kind of flowing down. Are you are you actively then, how, how does it work, right? Are you, are you as somebody who's, who's clearly big in this space, are you feeding them ideas as to where the, the gains should be made and therefore feeding into that idea stage, the product development stage? Is it, is it more techniques? Are there devices? Is it startups? How does that, I suppose, those how does that technology flow downwards and what's your relationship to it as it's being sort of developed? Sure. I, I see research very much as a team sport. I mean, it takes uh, people with ideas and then people, 
you know, either in the lab to, to do the basic science uh, behind a, an idea to prove something or people to gather data to follow patients in their recovery to, to show that uh, what we're trying to do works or doesn't work or people do do better with certain uh, things. So it very much is a, is a team effort. And we do have we have a group of uh, people, you know, our faculty, uh, I have uh, tw- 21 colleagues, uh, you know, physicians who are academic in their orientation, see patients, do studies. Some are clinical trials where we follow, say, a different type of implant. For example, um, my colleague, Steve Parada, who's a shoulder specialist, is working on uh, uh, the development of a reverse shoulder prosthesis to try to make uh, the prosthesis better. He works with a company to, to, uh, to refine the, uh, the equipment and the techniques. What's, what's, a, reverse? what's a reverse prosthesis? Yeah. yeah. So a reverse uh, prosthesis is one of those innovative uh, techniques that's been around now for oh, 15 plus years. So when people used to have rotator cuff tears that were irreparable, sure. You lose the ability to, to raise yeah, your arm. Been there. And so, yeah, yes. And so serving the, the in tennis too hard. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You're the perfect person to talk to about this. <laughs> that, so people like you are why they're orthopedic surgeons like us. So absolutely, that's, that's we keep you in business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no doubt. So, uh, so uh, a standard orthopedic, uh, standard uh, prosthesis. So the shoulder's a ball and socket joint. If you put an artificial ball and an artificial socket in place, you don't have a rotator cuff muscle to help you with that function of the shoulder. So right. it might improve pain, but it won't improve function. By putting the ball in the socket and the socket where the ball used to be, a reverse arrangement, it basically changes the mechanics of the shoulder and allows those muscles, namely the deltoid, to help you with your function now. And so it's been a huge, huge innovation to help people with uh, irreparable rotator cuff tears that left uh, people with a very little function and, and pain. It's given them a, a much improved quality of life. And so, so Dr. Prada has been on the forefront of that and continues to, to push wow. that envelope. Yes. You mentioned meniscal tears as well. Mm-hmm. And us being, I suppose, the health tech podcast, one of the technologies that I heard a bit about and saw and read a bit about a while, a while back now was sort of a rise in in regenerative medicine what's your view on regenerative medicine you know it might be meniscal tears it might be acls pcl you know whatever it is do you you have a view of that as a technology and and how good it is how useful it is what it might be useful for in future i'm just interested sure i think that's a very exciting part of medicine and particularly in orthopedics but in many areas of medicine of course i know orthopedics and, and sports uh, best so very excited about our future and i think we are really just barely on the launching pad of what regenerative medicine will bring us uh, in the near future and certainly in the distant future and so you know right now arthritis which is of course the wear and tear of the cartilage lining of the joint is a huge problem for millions of, of people in america and around the world and uh preventing arthritis uh, or preserving the joint is certainly you know what we look to do for for everyone but uh, the natural wear and tear on the joint you know comes with activity the age depending on you know um, many factors and so regenerative medicine either protecting that Articular cartilage from wearing away are finding ways to rebuild that cartilage or sort of, you know, our holy grails. The meniscus, the function of the meniscus in the knee is to help preserve that articular cartilage, help prevent arthritis. But a meniscus tear is probably the most common injury I see because of the activity of people and 
just because of what we ask it to do. And uh, it's a, uh, ultimately a design flaw, right? It's just, it can't I've been there as well. So, yeah. yeah okay, gotcha, <laughs> perfect. I do need to give you my numbers. Honestly. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, right. So, um, but uh, I, so regenerative medicine, I think, you know, particularly we talk about stem cells and stem cells get a lot of attention right now. And I think we're still unlocking the keys on how to use stem cells and where, you know, again, to use a sports metaphor, we're in the first inning of an extra inning game and we're trying to figure out how to give stem cells the right signals to do what we need them to do. Uh, currently, we can't regenerate um, a meniscus uh, if you tear it. We can repair some and we can provide, you know, some uh, biologic factors to help it heal, and, uh, but we can't make it regrow. One day, I envision we'll have a, a lattice, we'll put your stem cells on that lattice and, and meniscus will, will grow in, in that place. But you know, we're, we're a ways away from that, but that's where our labs and our researchers are, are working. And there's some it's, very you know bright what, people looking at Yeah, and that was my understanding of it too. You know, as you say, a, a lattice of stem cells that can be put somewhere to regenerate the right tissue it right. seems it, it, it seems like what I was talking about before in that that's going to be the sports medicine of today, but it might just be routine meniscal tear tomorrow that we just do that for. And I think if we can, the, the, the fact that we even can do that or even talk about that is so exciting. The fact that this is a specialty where we are still at that frontier where, you know, sports medicine is a specialty where these things are being learned. These these new techniques are being formed. It's, it can be experimental. It's afforded that because of the types of, of patients and the requirements that it's sort of a shot to nothing almost at, what, at some point of like, well, everything else has been exhausted. We might as well try this and we'll see if it works. And so for some people it does. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a super exciting part of medicine to be in, I guess. And, and, and I love it. Have you, have you ever had anything to do with... Uh, bioelectronics, electroceuticals, whatever you want to call it, sort of using electricity to either transcutaneously or implantable to, to do anything? Is that something that you've used in sports medicine at all? Yeah, I have not. In my practice and experience, use that. Of course, you know, our physical therapist will use uh, different modalities that will have yeah. an electric current electrophoresis to help drive a, a medicine, you know, in uh, beyond the skin to get to an inflamed part. Um, right now, um, that's really the extent uh, of no, 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 sure that's, that's absolutely fine it's just again it's another one of those things that as you say it seems like almost a bit routine in the way that it might be it might be used but again yes. seemingly only in sports medicine at the moment it's because you know one of the things i've been sitting in on a or sort of co-hosting a, a bioelectronics podcast where they talk to athletes and they talk to lots of different people about electroceuticals because they've been implanted you know the likes of abbott and medtronic have been implanting these sorts of things for a long time to sort of help with pain and other bits but now yes it's sort of coming to market transcutaneously and seem to be doing a job with like emg like kind of stimulating yeah. muscles and and sure. it, it's, it's interesting again it's one of those things that sort of feeds into that kind of optimizing health and an interesting technology that seems yes. to be trialed in in sports medicine orthopedics and even actually pain yes. medicine so it's, so it's becoming another kind of exciting field but moving on slightly no, no yes. um i guess I'd, so i'd like to talk to you about any any interesting devices or any interesting other techniques and things that you've been using i guess from a technology perspective right whether that's surgically or whether that's mm. kind of more outpatient and, and send them home with something are there any kind of interesting devices or interesting technologies that you've seen or looked at or are using at the moment 
Um, so I think uh, one of one of the issues that's more of a surgical procedure. We we've done one this week as we 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 are. This goes back to really sort of you know, bioengineering and uh, yeah, uh, you, you take harvesting someone's cartilage from their knee, sending it to a lab, growing those cartilage cells. So it's the patient's cartilage cells, and then bringing them back and implanting them into a and to a defect. So that's something that uh, we is showing great promise to improving a patient's well-being. And uh, uh, currently, it's one of the I think the, the concept we're, we're doing now is has uh, shown great promise, and we continue to do that and do research on pa- patients' outcomes from that. So that's a uh, been one innovative. What's the, uh, so what's technique. the what I suppose is the because you're right. I mean, that is you know bioengineering 101, right? right. What what is the what is the advantage of doing that against what is happening at the moment? Yeah. Normally. So, the, so yeah. So the advantage is, you know, one, it's it's your stem cells, so there's no you know reactivity to it, so it's your your cells, and then two, the the process of getting them, the the, the limitation has been with all of these uh, techniques has been the durability of that uh, implant, whether it's a if you're using you know, donated, donated cells or artificial products or whatever, they break down more quickly. And so these, uh, in this current technique, there seems to be a little bit more durability and more oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, to that. Yes. So, um, so that, uh, I think, uh, you know, our, our, our physical therapists always uh, amaze me. I mean, they're the ones who really get people better. I mean, you know, it's hard, hard for a surgeon to admit that, but, uh, you know, we do, we do what we do. And then the therapists spend, uh, significant time you know two three times a week with patients or, or depending on the on the injury and really help get people better with their techniques and and uh and uh devices and things they they can use now i think uh innovatively looking forward a lot of this is going to be done virtually you know we'll have a, a virtual therapist helping you at home just like you and i are talking now yeah. we'll have a therapist uh, teach and work you through your your process and you'll have whatever rehab device that might be at home for a short period of time. Have you had to uh, alter your practice and innovate through the, uh, through the pandemic at all? Has anything caused you to, uh, to change the way that you run your clinics or anything like that? Well, no, absolutely. I mean, in addition to just sort of uh, limiting, you know, patient contact, the waiting room obviously is a much uh, dispersed uh, area now with very few people in at any given time and, and, you know, social distancing in the, in the clinic. But beyond that, you know, we did have to shut down here uh, at our medical center. We had to stop all elective surgeries at the hospital wow. for a period of like several months. And so we wow. have a backlog of people who need total joint replacements and rotator cuff tears. And even though they're not considered, quote, emergencies, if you can't walk or you can't work or you can't move around there, they're certainly emergent to you. And, you know, and so we have a backlog of those patients now as the pandemic eases in our region we're looking to start that back up and so we have about 200 plus cases patients that are waiting for surgery and uh so we'll we'll have a huge um huge challenge to get all those folks taken care of in a time it's um it's a big thing in the uk the backlog um across healthcare i think i've said it a few times on here but in october it was uh yeah, a few million <laughs> waiting, yeah, right. waiting for care. It's, uh, it, yeah, it, it, it's certainly no mean feat. And I think one thing it is doing for us is it is kind of forcing our hand to innovate. I think particularly when it comes to outpatients, Correct. because 
at the end of the day, I think outpatients is is often full of people that frankly, and by their own admission, don't need to be there. There's a lot of people that do need to be there. But I think one thing that seems to be changing in the UK is, is remote monitoring and sort of patient initiated follow-up. So only be followed up if you want to, and if you need to be, which is kind of streamlining everything from our from our perspective, I think obviously when it comes to sports medicine, there's probably always something that you guys can do to optimize, but it's, uh, there, there's so much that we need to do to address the backlog. Definitely. Um, Correct. I, I just mentioned that telehealth has become a very big part of our yeah. daily practice now at in orthopedics and throughout the enterprise. And so, as you mentioned, people who don't have to come into a hospital or healthcare setting, we can do those follow-ups uh, uh, via telehealth. Now, orthopedics is more of a hands-on procedure so sometimes we do just have to see and touch and examine the patient but sometimes these many times these things can be done via telehealth and and our our, our institution has been really on the forefront in the country of helping develop the, the telehealth platform yeah definitely we've seen a huge proliferation of telehealth like absolutely huge um just as the uh, necessity went up. It's interesting how I think, I think there is kind of like a bit of a saddle now as it, as it comes down and levels off. But I think because everybody kind of had to use it and lent into it, it's just given everybody that extra choice, which is where it feels to me that telemedicine sits as an option. You know, when nobody's trying to say it's the be all and end all and everybody should do it. But I think even you'll know, you know, running a, a clinic full of, full of people that you, you'll, you'll know instinctively who, who is good for that? Who's, who's that useful for? Who doesn't need to come right. in? Who has to travel a bit further? And I think it is that, right? I, th- I think for somebody that, that runs a clinic and understands that, it can just be part of the options and part of the choice. I think that's probably where telemedicine is going to land. But again, moving this on, one of the things that I've seen and, and heard about you guys, obviously the Nuance platform. So do you want to tell me a bit about that? Yeah, no, certainly. It's a very exciting uh, opportunity for us. And we uh, basically... Our relationship with Nuance developed uh, with the uh, onset of the electronic medical record in, in the U.S. And, and a lot of our physician time was spent at the keyboard, not with the patient. And so once uh, the electronic medical record evolved, Nuance came uh, in with a, with a platform that allows us to use uh, basically a virtual scribe. And so I can go in and spend time with the patient and look at the patient and talk to the patient and our exam and our visit is more personal and more directed. And the, my scribe, who may be in a, in a distant city, is, is able to take that visit and put the information appropriately in, a, in the medical record for me to sign off on. So when I, I spend my time with the patient, my, my attention uh, is directed to the patient. And when I leave the patient room, my note is done only for me to, to approve and sign off on. And so that's uh, been a huge, huge uh, a satisfier for not only the physicians and, and my team of physicians, but also for the patient as well. And I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I certainly have experienced it as a patient to go see a doctor and have them never really look at me or touch me. Their entire time is on a keyboard. And so particularly for us in orthopedics, it's huge for us to have our hands free to be able to examine and really devote our time to the patient and then not spend our professional time at the keyboard, you know, as a, as a keyboard, uh, entry operator i completely and utterly agree i think this is one of the technologies that is gonna really change the game in a positive way i think it's something that's so practical 
in what it allows us to do. We can talk about the fact it's artificial intelligence, machine learning, tech platform, like all of that is fine. And, and you know, I love it. I'm health tech podcaster. We can talk about the tech. I think what that does to a patient clinician interaction, it, it, it emancipates the clinician. It frees the clinician to be a human to the other human in the room. I think that right. is such a powerful and needed desirable just any like the superlatives i run out of to be honest for how much i think that is exactly what technology should be doing technology should always be allowing us to be more human because at the end of the day when it comes to healthcare, sometimes you just want to be told that everything's gonna be okay by another person and you want to build that like that's part of it but it's it's what healthcare used to be i suppose way back when and you know, we've gone through this middle bit, but I think that now we can really lean into technology being that and, and emancipating us to deliver the, the human elements again. Like I, I really, that's what I want, but that's my vision of what health tech should be doing. It should be imperceptible. We shouldn't be perceiving the tech. It shouldn't be things that we do. It should be exactly as you've just described. It allows you to conduct that consultation by just being a person to the other person in the room. I think that is such a wonderful application of, of healthcare and technology. I really do. Yes, absolutely. And that's why uh, we all went into medicine ostensibly, right? To be, uh, to have a personal relationship with our patients and to be able to interact and help them. And then the one other thing I'll just bring up is it's made a huge uh, impact, not only in our professional quality of life, but our, our personal quality of life. I have colleagues who would finish clinic go home, play with their kids. After their kids went to bed at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, they would spend the next two hours completing their notes at the keyboard on the computer. Uh, the technology that we've used uh, with nuances helped free us up. And so our personal quality of lives are much better, which make our professional lives better. I want, because I don't want to run out of time before I ask you about this, the uh, Italian team, 1996 yes, okay. <laughs> Olympic Games in Atlanta. Uh, I, I, I just want to know, you know, what, what was that like? Who were you training? What kind of, you know, technologies and things were you trying back then? Uh, what kind of innovative stuff were you doing? I'm super interested. Well, no, well, well, thank you for for that question. It it really, it came along really fortuitously. So the Italian Olympic team ended up coming to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which is about two and a half, three hours from Atlanta. And so that was their training base. And so just with my involvement and interest in sports medicine and my relationship with the Wake Forest team is how you know, I got involved. And so I met, uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the Italian Olympic uh, sports medicine training staff and doctors and, you know, was available to see, see their athletes. And, you know, when you have elite athletes at that level, at that time in their, in their lives, they're really at their peak performance. And so fortunately, um, my uh, skills were needed very, very rarely. It was really just, to maintain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these, these, these people were just incredible athletes and, and were obviously very nice people to be around as well. But uh, it was an exciting time. And uh, so my involvement with them was, was mainly just to help keep them at their best during their training to get them to Atlanta to, to compete. And, uh, and uh, anyway, made, uh, made some fantastic, uh, you know, relationships during that time. And, uh, it was a really a blast just to be part of the whole Olympic, uh, you know, event and Olympic spirit. What was considered innovative mm-hmm. back then? Because obviously we've moved, we've moved on pretty significantly. I mean, did, were people strict on their diets back then? Were they, were they strict on, I don't know, certain ways of warming up or warming up? What was the, what was, what was classed yeah. as innovative? 
Yes. Well, I think at that point, I think some of the physical therapy techniques were really just sort of evolving and particularly very specific things of people were having, uh, you know, whether it was some of the techniques, you know, with stretching and warming up and particularly cyclists have a very, you know, unique uh, motion and activity that they go through over, you know, miles and sprints and, and endurance and things like that. So keeping really them nutritionally sound so that they have the energy levels that they need to feed their their systems uh, during these events and then one getting them through the proper warm-up and if they do get mainly it was a lot of overuse things you can imagine uh, mainly just the inflations keeping those clear down with physical therapy techniques uh, you know uh, phonophoresis uh, antophoresis things of that nature uh, in therapy so that was what were those, those were two really words big. that you just said that ended in phoresis yeah so phonophoresis is the use of ultrasound to drive an anti-inflammatory or medicine uh, in the, beyond the skin. And then iontophoresis is the use of the electrical current to drive uh, the medicine in a little bit uh, deeper to the source of, uh, of the inflammation. So you can use ultrasound to drive it transcutaneously? Yeah. Yes, correct. And so the iontophoresis drives the medicine in a little bit deeper uh, than the phonophoresis. Phonophoresis can be used over a little bit wider area. Iontophoresis is a little bit more over a more specific area. And it's just a, it's a small electric current on a patch that helps drive that medicine in. So you, so you deliver it. How, how do you deliver it? <laughs> it's a yeah, stupid yeah, question. Yeah, so is it, yeah, no. so, so like an ibuprofen gel maybe or something or, or something that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Something like that. It would be in a, in a gel. So for phonophoresis, you have a gel, which is the, you know, the, 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 uh, the uh, carrier or in the, the solution. And then the, the ultra, Ultrasound and the gel helps drive that anti-inflammatory medicine, usually a you know a corticosteroid or anti-inflammatory um, preparation. Sometimes uh, uh, there can be several medicines in in the mixture to help drive through. And then the iatophoresis would be really just in a patch that's attached to an electric current, a little box that drives the current in constantly over time and right. a little bit more specific. Yeah. So does that so hyperlocalize it? I suppose. Yes. So maybe your Achilles tendonitis would be uh, oh, you know, so. uh, treated by something like that. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, yes. uh, I'll ask my physiotherapist, although I doubt yes. there's uh, <laughs> I doubt that it's that, that sort of level. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm interested then. So when it comes to your clinic and, and, you know, innovative things that you're, that you're doing and that you're looking at, are you open to new startups getting in touch that might have something? Do you exclusively get your kind of ideas from academia? Do you exclusively work with the university on that basis? How do you think about, or indeed, if someone comes to you and says, I've got this really interesting technology, I'd like to trial it on a few patients. Are you open to that sort of thing? How does that kind of work for you? Yeah, I am very much open to that sort of thing. And I think one of our missions in academic medicine in the US is really to to find those innovative techniques and those things, and then put the science and the, the research behind it to make sure we're, we're providing you know, the public and our patients with uh, appropriate treatment and things that will help not hurt them. And I think that's, again, one of our big missions. And so we absolutely are open to that. And like I said, that's one of our missions as an academic uh, center. Yeah. And I think for the, for the startups and entrepreneurs that are listening, I think that's a very compelling offer. And I think obviously, for, to have learned how somebody in sports medicine thinks and operates is extremely valuable, especially for people that are thinking about designing new technologies or indeed applying them or trying to get them adopted. I think knowing that you're open to that sort of thing to 
help your patients to add some value to help them optimize their recovery and their conditioning for their events and things like that. I think the fact that you are willing to look at that through the lens of we are willing to take an active role in applying the research and science, that is an incredibly compelling offer because I think, you know, particularly in the UK, that is the bit that is difficult. It is difficult to get buy-in from somebody that's willing to use that on their patients. It's difficult to do that in a system that is largely, you know, public and government funded and things like that. It, you know, it, it can be tough. I think obviously there will be, there will be people listening that I'm sure have got uh, innovations and, 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 be those devices be those techniques be those things that they're looking at that would like to apply into source medicine uh if 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 that is the case what is the best way for them to approach you what should they have what do they need what stage do they need to be at what does a good innovation look like to you in terms of how it how it comes to you right well i think obviously uh an idea that's been been obviously well thought out well developed uh uh and then sometimes if it's just a concept, I mean, think tanks are Interesting. tremendously valuable. So if somebody has an idea uh, that, uh, you know, it comes from a, a background uh, or of, of interest or knowledge, uh, certainly I'm open to discussions and talking and sort of, uh, you know, if, if I don't have the right pieces of information, I'm surrounded by a lot of very smart people who may come at things a little bit differently. And I think that's the, the, the beauty and the challenge and enjoyment that I get out of coming to work every day is working around a, a lot of very smart, open-minded, innovative people. And so an idea, uh, something that uh, someone has, uh, you know, can contact me via email, probably be the easiest way, uh, or uh, send, a, send a note or a letter. And if it's something that uh, is of interest, we can talk and, you know, generate a conversation. If it's an, an idea, uh, if it's a, a device or a uh, you know, there's certain guidelines and things that we have to be very careful about and, you know, what we, what we use, obviously with patients in an outpatient or a surgical setting. So we can't really just take somebody's great idea, even though it may be a wonderful idea and start using <laughs> it, to, you know, right, right, right away on, on patients. But, uh, but that's something we have, a you know, we have uh, researchers and things that we can look at and or look at uh, developing it or looking into that uh, sort of technology or ideas. Yeah, it sounds like a really robust ecosystem that you've got around you, uh, you know, Augusta and, and, and the clinic and, and everything that you guys are doing. It seems that you've definitely got an infrastructure there that can take those ideas, be them ideas or be them, you know, uh, products or be them further in terms of companies. And I suppose being able to apply that research, to apply that science allows you guys to be at the forefront and pushing that frontier of sports medicine all the time which as you say is an incredibly exciting place to be when it comes to healthcare when it comes to technology things that we've talked about um i can't even remember phono something to do with lots of phono yeah, that's right, that's right. phonophoresis, that's right. phonophoresis that was the end i, I know i knew the phono relates to so i can't remember the second phoresis phonophoresis um yeah. And, you know, stuff like that, the regenerative medicine and the use of stem cells, new devices, new techniques of surgery. I think I think sports medicine is an incredibly exciting area to get into if you're a, a medical clinician in any form 
that that wants to work at the frontier. I think if you want to be part of the healthcare or the orthopedics, the physiotherapy, the even some elements of medicine of tomorrow, I think you'll see a lot of these things playing out in sports medicine today. And so if you are on the innovative side of, of medicine, I know a few people that have gone into sports medicine from things like orthopedics and other surgeries. I think it's a great place to be. Um, and I'm sure, Monty, that you've inspired a few people uh, in the audience listening today um, to, to perhaps ask you a couple of questions or to get in touch. So uh, you've mentioned you've mentioned email. Do, do you have a generic sort of website for people to go to that can find out about your work and, and other bits and bobs to get in touch with you? Yeah, the generic website would be the Augusta University Medical Center Department of Orthopedic Surgery. If you Googled uh, me on that, it certainly would be contact information. And uh, not to, to confuse things, but the Medical College of Georgia is our, is our medical college. So I'm a professor of the Medical College of Georgia at Augusta University. And so um, if you Google me that, it'll, it, it will give you all the contact information. Perfect. And we will put some of that contact information into the description of this episode. Monty, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've learned a huge amount about the innards of sports medicine and uh, the Italian winter sports team. But uh, thank you so much and uh, we'll speak soon. Yeah, thank you very much, James. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure uh, talking with you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.